Well, Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for your word. And I ask now for the blessing and function of your spirit as I prepare to preach your word to your people. I ask for my brothers and sisters that you would grant them the same mantle of your spirit to hear, to listen, to understand, and to heed what you would teach us this day. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Let me give you a quick reminder of what we talked two weeks ago. Remember, I gave you a theological lecture, not much of a sermon, because of those words that are there in 1 John 5, 7 and 8 and a half. They frankly don't belong there. Here is the context of what John is getting at. Remember I told you it's very important to always remember what the man is trying to get at. We tell that to people. You missed my main point. That wasn't what I was talking about. You got the side issues, but you failed to see the main point. The main point that John is trying to get at at this passage is found in verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This is what John is trying to get at in his entire letter. And this is what is of primary importance in this particular section. John the Apostle, who just spoke in the Gospel of Mark asking Jesus that question, is concerned as a pastor that the flock, more, more, most likely more than one flock under his care, that they were being led astray by false teaching. Now, this is very important for us to remember, because in our day, and this, it's not just our day, it happens throughout history, little catchphrases come up. One of the really trite ones that's out there today is, I'm not into religion, I'm into a relationship with God. It's an incredibly self-refuting statement, and it really does sound actually childish. You can't have, it's as if the word religion is somehow an obscene word. Smacks of formality, as if it would be somehow stupid to approach the God of the entire universe with some sense of formality. Personally, when I read the scriptures, it seems to make very good sense to come before the God of the universe with some sense of decorum, some sense of formality. Stuffiness? No. Formality? Absolutely. This is not a God who is your buddy. You're not talking to him over the fence. Uh, if you have a fence, when I was a boy, people shared fence lines and you would talk to your neighbor over the fence. I don't know if you do that around here because of big plots of land. He's not your buddy that you just have casual conversations with. This is the creator of the universe, who has always existed. Is he your friend? Yes, if he says so. <laughs> but first and foremost, he is the creator of all the worlds. He holds all power and all blessedness in himself. He is worthy of much more than what we would consider a casual conversation. He is worthy of our Stunned admiration. Have you ever met a famous person or someone that you wanted to meet? It has an effect on you. I've had the privilege, I suppose, at least in a few of the cases, of actually meeting a few famous people. And even though they're just human beings, 
that you do feel a little stunned when you realize, at least I did, that the person I was speaking with, that some of his CDs were in my collection. I was like, this is interest doesn't happen every day. We have access to the creator of the universe every second of our lives. And how many of us never feel an ounce of stunned admiration for him? I'd like you to think just for a moment of a human being that you admire. Could be anybody. And if you, and you, that you haven't met, make it someone real famous. And if you were to meet that person, how would you act? Would you want to say something silly in front of them or would you want to give a good impression of yourself? I'm going to guess that option two would be on the table. You want to make a good impression on the person. What about God? We say we believe in His name. We say we believe on His Son, and we do. But do we offer to Him the worship and respect, love, gratitude that he deserves think of what he has done for us he's given us life he's given us homes he's given us food he's given us clothes he's given us cars usually more than one some of us own more than one house we all own more than one pair of clothes nobody is starving for lack of food And he's given us heaven. What do you think he deserves in return? Stunned admiration. And John wants us to know that we have eternal life. He wants us to know. And he's battling these false teachers. And there's false teaching always. False teaching started in the garden. The original false teacher is the father of all lies, the Satan, the Shaitan, as the Muslims, and we will get to the Muslims in a few minutes. The Shaitan, the Satan, the adversary, the father of all lies. His kingdom is built upon lies, and all false teaching utters forth from his ugly, ugly place of being. A false teaching today that we have to be careful of. This is one of my, another one of my favorites. Doctrine doesn't really matter. I'm not into doctrine. And then they'll follow it up with some loquacious face. I'm into a relationship with God, not realizing that they just made a doctrinal statement. Or here's another one. Christians say these kind of things. We can't know absolute truth. Or, there is no absolute truth, not realizing that they just made a self-refuting statement, and they just made an absolute statement. Well, the Word of God contradicts all of those. It says that we can know that we have eternal life. We all doubt at some time. We discussed this in Sunday school. We do doubt. Is doubting a sin? Yes. Can it be a sin that can be forgiven? Yes. We all have doubts at one point in our life. Am I saved? Does God really love me? 
If God loved me, would I be going through this? If, if, God, if God's Spirit was in me, would I be doing this? If God's Spirit was in me, would I be saying this again? Would I have to confess this, this sin again for the 3,000th time? And we wonder. And the evil one whispers in our ears, God really said, He has said right here that you can know that you have eternal life because we believe in the Christ. Do you believe in the Christ as He is presented to you in the Gospel? Not a Christ of your own making. The Christ who is presented to us in the Gospel is the one who we just heard from in the reading in the Gospel of Mark. Who doesn't come across like the Jesus of many people's imaginations. If you weren't listening carefully, he spoke about hell more than once. He spoke about hell as being a physical place. A place where the fire is not quenched and where their worm does not die. Now that's, that's, that strikes us as odd, where their worm does not die. Let's talk about their spirit. Every person you ever see in your life will spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Every person you ever meet. That's a terrifying reality. Thank God it's not up to us and our feeble efforts to drag people into the kingdom. That's another false teaching that goes about in the church today. That if you don't tell everybody you come in contact, if you're not witnessing 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, the blood of those people is going to be on your head. Man, what a guilt trip. Seriously. Their souls are in my hand to an extent. But no. God is in control of all this. If my neighbor's soul or your neighbor's soul was left in your hands, is that a responsibility you want? How are you doing with that one, by the way? Not very well, I bet. Has every person you've ever met heard the gospel from you? More than once. If not, there are some people who would say that you're living... A, you might not even be a Christian. Really? Hmm. That's funny. The Bible says, Thou shalt not steal. So if you're getting paid to dig ditches, you better be digging ditches, ditches and not quote. You can quote scripture to them if you want, but you better be digging ditches. And if you're called to do data entry, you better have those fingers motoring off at 90 words a minute. You better be doing it. better be doing your job or you're stealing... If you want to get paid for reading the Bible and speaking the truth to to people, well, I can tell you how to do that. If you want to be a Presbyterian, which you should want to be, you've got to go to school for about 23 years. So, and learn a bunch of languages that are not as easy as English. And then you can have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Not the world, but at least a group of people. Do you know that you have eternal life? If you don't, this passage is here for you. If you do, this passage is here to strengthen you. It's our faith in the Christ that is the instrument that God uses to save us. Our faith does not save us. I believe in gravity. 
it will not save me. I believe in red lights. They don't always work. God's grace saves us through faith. Faith is the conduit, as it were, that God's grace comes to us through. And what an amazing thing it is to believe. If you believe in the Christ, it is literally a miracle. You had nothing to do with it. If God... I don't know all of you equally well. But this is going to come as a surprise to some of you, especially you young people. You're not as unique as you think. Neither am I. There are about four or five types of human beings in this world. Maybe a half dozen if you really stretch it. We're all basically the same. We all have similar fears. We all have some strengths. We all have a bunch of weaknesses. We're all born and we will all die. Whole bunch of things in common. We are walking miracles because God looked with kindness upon us and allowed us to understand the gospel. If you believe today, it is because God has loved you. If you believe today, it's because the Spirit has opened up your eyes, and this is what John is trying to get at. The Spirit is the forgotten person of the Blessed Trinity. The Spirit is the one who lives inside of you. The Spirit is the one who lives among us. Jesus is fully God and fully man. What did we just say in the Apostles' Creed? I've said this to you a zillion times. Where is he right now? At the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He's not in that seat there. When we have communion, he's not in the bread and the fruit of the vine. He's in one place at a time because he is a man. The Spirit whom Christ sent, his job, for lack of a better term, is to open up our eyes, to teach us, to assure us. This is subjective, it really is. And there are many people in our tradition, in the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition, who are very, very afraid of subjectivity. But it cannot be avoided. You realize that the person sitting next to you, even if you've, been, even if you've known them for a zillion years, they could be a completely different person on the inside and you could never know it. You read about it in the papers all the time. People say, well, he was a nice guy. He was a great neighbor. He, was, he had kittens. I had no idea he was this monster. He adopted straight kittens. But God knows us. We are subjects. The Spirit lives in us and the Spirit speaks to us and reassures our hearts that God loves us. And we need that reassurance because in case you haven't noticed, the world doesn't want us to be reassured of that. Members of our own families don't want us to be assured of that. Our own sins are used by the adversary to indict us. You did that again? Yeah. Your nine lives are up, kiddo. You're done. You did it one too many times. That's a lie. We believe certain facts about Christ that have been revealed to us in the scriptures. And the fact is, is that he has come and given us eternal life. 
And remember, in review, there are three that bear witness on the earth. John is concerned about the earth, not about what's going on in heaven, because heaven is perfect and everything in heaven will take care of itself. Down here on earth, things, however, get very messy very quickly, very often. The Spirit bears witness to us about certain things about the Christ that he came by water. Remember I told you two weeks ago, I'm just doing this by review, that's talking about his baptism as a man. That he was baptized. Now remember I told you, again quickly in review, that John's opponent had this horrible theology that the Christ, see he confused the Christ and the Spirit. This is why John is emphasizing the Spirit in this passage. Serinthus, you've got to remember that name. Serinthus taught that the man Jesus Christ, when he was baptized, that the Christ came into him. But when he was on the cross, the Christ left him. All kinds of problems with that theology. For one thing, you're a Binitarian, not a Trinitarian. Two, you don't have the Christ dying on the cross now. Because the Christ has left this man. Now you just have a man. You don't have God's appointed one. That's what the word Christ means. The anointed one. It's horrible theology. That's why John is stressing the Spirit here. Because the Spirit descended upon the man Jesus Christ to fortify him for his earthly ministry. Because you recall that right after his baptism, what did the Spirit do? He drove Jesus into the desert specifically to fast for 40 days and be tempted by the evil one. The Spirit has an important, essential role to play in the salvation of God's people. He is the one who gives us strength. He prays for us with groanings too deep for words, the book of Romans says. The Spirit bears witness, the water bears witness, and the blood of Christ bears witness. The blood itself is the testimony. And what John is getting at is that if you do not believe these things, you are not listening to God's testimony. When you go to court, I don't know if you've ever been on jury duty. I have never had the privilege. You listen to testimony. And when the lawyer cross-examines the witness, that lawyer's job is to lambast that witness so that his, his or her testimony is found to be unreliable or at least have a reasonable doubt in the juror's mind. What John is saying here is that if we do not believe the testimony that God has given us, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, that we are not paying attention to God's testimony in his court, which is incredibly dangerous. If you do not believe what God says about his son, you make him out to be a liar. I will leave it to you to think of that as a smart and wise move. There is nobody on earth who is rational, who would actually point to God and say, you're a liar. But in reality, when we sin every single time, that's what we're doing. We do, for a brief period of time. You're lying, this is not that big of a deal. What big the deal? I'm in charge. You're lying. Thankfully, his word bears testimony that we can be forgiven. Do you believe? Or are you making God to be a liar? 
We receive the witness that men, the witness of God is greater. This is just arguing from the lesser to the greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. This is talking about a subjective experience. Presbyterians get so scared when we talk about subjective experiences because they can't be verified. Oh well, I don't know what you're thinking right now. Guess what? I can take guesses, but I might never know. That's why that last commandment, thou shalt not covet, is what I call the the icing on the mall. You could externally, in front of everybody, obey all the first nine, but boy, oh boy, nobody can verify what's in your mind unless you open up your mouth. Can you prove that somebody's coveting if they don't tell you? No. Nobody's listening but God. God knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows if you believe his testimony. Like I said, he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony. He's stressing that word testimony. Evidence that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life He who does not have a son does not have life. That is an absolute statement. If you have the son, you have life. If you do not have the son, you're condemned. The Jesus of many people's imaginations is this meek, mild-mannered, 99-pound weakling who never says a harsh thing to anybody. However, when you read the Gospels, Jesus seems to have a lot of harsh things to say about religious hypocrites. He's very compassionate with the man or woman on the street. The professional religious hypocrites, he does not really have any sympathy whatsoever for them. He's always telling the Pharisees, have you not read? He tells the Sadducees, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures. You haven't studied enough, kids. Like I've told you, the Pharisees, most, some of them studied for a living. They were like professors. Haven't you read? Don't you know your stuff? I thought you had a PhD. Have you ever shown up somebody who thought they were know-it-all? It's a sick thing, but it is fun. And that's what Jesus does with the Pharisees. He's blasting them in public. And they keep coming back for more. For three straight years... They challenge him to a public debate. And every time he blasts them out, you would think that they would get the message, hey, this guy is out of our league. I'm not going to tangle with him. They tangled with him even up to the last week. They ask him the question, is it right to give tax to Caesar? And he says, I'm wrong. I'll tell you what, let me ask you a question. Remember that? I'm going to ask you a question. Baptism of John. Is it from God or of men? Ooh, I have to have a huddle. I have to have a conference. Got a problem here because we didn't get baptized by John. So if we say that it's of men, these people are going to kill us. And if we say it's of God, then our own testimony is going to jam us up. And they said, we don't know. He says, okay. I'm not going to answer your question. And they never challenged him again. The Pharisees were forced to say, I don't know. They didn't like saying, I don't know. Now, many of us struggle with assurance. John does not want to struggle with insurance. There is something 
that wages war against our assurance. And that is our own sin. I want you to think just for a minute or two about our lives and the petty, silly things we complain about. Those are the type of things that anger God and they cause us to wonder if we are Christians. In Nigeria, as we speak, Christians are being driven out of their homes and slaughtered. Hmm? Did you have anything like that happen to you this week? In Iraq, did you know that there have been Christians in Iraq for about 2,000 years? Do you know that they're not there anymore, right? They've been driven out. Some of them have come back because they have nowhere to go. But our Islamic friends, this religion of peace, has told them, you have two choices. Convert or here's the sword. Or you can leave. Those Christians have been in Iraq for millennia. That's the ancient Near East. That's where the gospel went first. They are being driven out now. We give them very little thought whatsoever. And we whine, all of us, about silly, silly things. When our brothers and sisters, we believe in the communion of saints, do we not? Did you just testify that you believed in the communion of saints? That's what it's talking about. Our brothers and sisters being driven from their ancestral homes. They've been living there for 2,000 years. The Muslims in Nigeria are so disorganized that nobody can get a handle on them. They're just raping, pillaging, plundering, and burning wherever they go, kidnapping schoolgirls. And what did we whine, each of us, what did we whine about last week, this morning? What did we complain about? Nothing in comparison to that. Those are the type of things that hurt our assurance. You see, those Christians... They know that they're Christians. Do you know why? Because they're dying for their faith. They know that they're Christians because even when the sword is coming, they're saying, bring it or I will leave. I am not bending the knee. I'm going to tell you something right now. You know when I come back from vacation, I'm always a little triggered up. If that would ever happen in America, you would see churches empty. All these churches with 15, 20,000 people, if they were given a choice, the sword or Islam or, or anything else, they would leave. They would leave their Starbucks. They would leave their little youth groups. They would leave their pizza parties and their donuts in the lobby of the church. They would leave and they would indeed bow the knee to Allah. I promise you. It's already happening. Christians are running around in America like... Crazy people, worried that this and this is going to happen. Nothing's happened yet. A bakery got closed in Colorado. Wow! And people are running around as if the Antichrist has all of a sudden arrived in America. Well, in case you haven't noticed, he's in charge of Super Bowl Sunday. Day to drink beer, gamble, lose and beat your wife. The American day. We have nothing to complain about. None of us. 
I'm not saying your life is perfect. I know it's not. Neither is mine. But we need to take a bigger picture. And when we take a bigger picture, our hearts will be assured. That will act as a testimony as well. When we realize, wow, God really has done a lot for me. I had five square meals today. Some of us even get six. If you count those snacks right before you go to bed. And the ones that you're not supposed to have, you sneak real quick when everybody's in bed. Let's grab one more slice of pie real quick. Boom, boom. God loves you. He's proven it. Do you believe his testimony or not? It really is just that simple. I pray that you have. Lord, thank you for your testimony. Thank you for the spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And I ask that you would help us here in our little gathering, our little corner of the world, to be faithful to what you have told us to do. In Jesus' name.